This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the midweek edition of the Blue Monday podcast, a weekly show looking into all things Ipswich Town. I'm your host, Rich Woodward, and I'm delighted to welcome back ITFC Academy expert, football manager, researcher, um, what else, Joe? Explorer, um, painter and decorator, builder, extraordinaire, Joe Fairs. Welcome back, Joe. Hi, Rich. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, good. Did I miss anything off the intro, by the way? Is there anything else you've taken off last week? I think you added more than you missed. Amateur golfer. I don't know no, what. No. Scuba diver. I don't know. No, no, I don't. I don't do a lot. I just, just hang around. Just watch chill. football. Um, we were going to record last night, but it was the under twenty threes, and you've got many strings to your bow as we talked about the ITFC Academy, but also the, the football manager scouting. Was that a bit of both of that stuff um, to talk? Yeah, diamond, or? yeah. Just just to try and um, sort of get the progress of some players but it was a bit of a makeshift team last night because a lot of the under 18s are in holland on a lfe tour which is a education panel part of the i think it's some sort of eu erasmus scheme tour that they're on there and so there was four trialists in the team and then a lot of the younger under 18s with the older 23s but he didn't really learn a lot from that last night harry wright had a good game so the penalty did he yeah, he saved a penalty and made yeah. a good double save in the second half. The, I suppose the biggest thing to take out of it was the fact that Corian Darba was playing. He's dropped down into the 23s where Armando Dobra, Bailey Clements, they mm. they weren't playing, so they were obviously seen as more part of the first team. They were on the bench on Saturday where Darba wasn't, so he seems to be a long way from Lambert's thinking. So Yeah, could, it's a continuation. Could he, be, of... could he be set for a loan spell? Oh, yeah. Um, Barry Cotter was playing. He obviously hasn't been... For whatever reason, isn't going on loan in Sweden with Aaron Drynan, whether he he chose against it or the club chose against it or whatever, we we don't know on that. But I suppose they were the two biggest things to take from it. And how Harry Wright were expecting to go out on loan as well, right? I'd I'd, right. I'd hope so. I, I, th- I think that Adam Prisbeck has been signed to play in the under twenty threes this year, which Harry did all last year. And Harry Wright needs to get a loan into presumably it's going to be the national league to try and get some first team football under his belt. Mm. Well. Talking of transfer windows, we'll, we will deal with things in kind of chronological order, but there's just a couple of bits that I wanted to talk, out, talk about. First is Molden, so we've dealt with that very nice and quick. Um, transfer window, I guess the, the two symbolic things for us, the, the League One transfer window rolls on for another couple of weeks, doesn't it? Or three weeks, end of August, I think it is? Yes, 2nd of September, September it is. Yeah. Um, is that um, Andre Dizel and Alan Judge are still here. Um, they might be plucked up from an ambitious League One club perhaps in the next few weeks but um, positive Joe that those two are still here particularly I guess Dizelle given the transfer rumours that kicked off on Saturday after he didn't travel to Burton yeah it, it did seem that Judge that end, the sort of interest in Judge had ended before today so I wasn't really expecting anything to happen today but there'd been a lot of talk of Dizelle potentially wanting to leave as well as there was obviously the absence on Saturday which was due to a heavy tackle he picked up against Cambridge on the knee but 
it's it's a positive that we haven't had to sell anyone. Whether their interest was there, we don't know. There must there must have been something there for all the talk that there was. But no, it's definitely a positive that they're staying. I think realistically we weren't going to be bringing anyone in today with all the with all the transfers in the Premiership and the Championship going on today. Transfers into a League One club, we're not going to be a priority for any club or agent or player. So it now opens up for us, and hopefully we can do our business in the next sort of seven eight days as opposed to doing it on September the 1st, 2nd when we're going to be six, seven games into the season. Yeah, a few bargains maybe to be had with championship squads now settling with their teams perhaps. So, yeah, so maybe some action in the next few weeks. Um, let's, um, so we'll, the, we'll talk about uh, a few things though. We'll deal with Burton, a bit of um, your take on the Burton game, Joe. Um, I'd quite like to get your thoughts on the Marcus Evans um, interview or column, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we'll obviously talk Sunderland, the big game on Saturday. Um, let's start with Bolton. Um, let's not start with Bolton. Let's start with Burton instead. Yeah. Um, Bolton on the brain. Mm-hmm. Takeover is looking in jeopardy there. That's a, another serious situation with Berry also having two weeks to save themselves. But that's another topic. Let's talk about Burton. 1 0 win. Um, a fairly positive performance. Um, early goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the majority threat being on the counter-attack um, and was looking pretty comfortable for most of the game and then the last few minutes kind of got a little bit exciting. Um, what was your take, Joe? Yeah, no, I, I thought we played well. I think we looked especially sharp on the counter and I've heard that it's something that we were working on a lot in pre-season. I think that is going to be a factor in how we play and you can see by the way we play, the pace on the wings and up front is something that we haven't really had for a number of years, sort of. So you have to go back a long way before you can say we're a good counter-attacking side where Holy would distribute it quickly and Norwood sort of, he, he really impressed me with his hold-up play and mm. bringing other players into the game and driving and he, he just really sort of embraced that role. And once it, the game opened up a little bit after the half-time break and I think once we changed it to four-two-three-one and got Judge on, it, we sort of sharp shop almost at that point. The concern is... We didn't really create anything at that point, but were we trying to or were we just looking to hit them if, if we could? So it's just be interesting to see how that goes from the start because I think that is how we're going to end up. But I think we I think it was a really, really positive win because Burton are sort of without sounding too much like Mick McCarthy, they're no mugs. No I'm, mugs yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure they're in a I'm sure they're in a false position at the moment <laughs> as well. But they are a side that finished sort of were they ninth or tenth last year? Yeah, a slow start they, and then they came. Yeah. They, they scored a lot of goals. They've got a they've got a good manager who knows his who sort of knows his way around this level. And they're a, they're a team that's going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. And when when everyone saw that start to the season, we saw Burton away, Sunderland at home, Peterborough away. There was a real worry that that's that could be there's sort of three three probably the tougher games you could have in the season and back to back. And if we got off to a bad start, things things were really going to be potentially sort of the crowd were going to react the transfer window would still be open would we panic so getting that getting that first win is really positive and gives us something to build on now there's no there shouldn't be any nerves going into the Sunderland game on Saturday now no and it sounds like a good crowd as well that is for, for Saturday as well it's, there's a few bits and pieces that um, it's obviously really early in the season so we don't know, draw too many conclusions um, we've got questions about formations so I won't go there but a few bits of personnel that I just wanted to call out um your take on Luke Wolfenden, obviously with an eye to the academy, and you've seen quite a lot of him over the last few years, um, and also Wilson, who came in on a free as well. Who do you think is going to get the nods on Saturday against uh, Chambers? Will come back, won't he, on Saturday? Yeah, so. yeah, Chambers will definitely come back into the side, and I think it's got to be Luke Wolfenden. I thought he was the better of the two players on Saturday. I thought he, the, the way he sort of carries the ball out of defence and passes it, is really positive. He obviously made that sort of a couple of key interceptions one right at the very end which saved us two points I don't think James Wilson did anything wrong and he looked relatively solid but at the end of the day he didn't get through 90 minutes because he's got cramp and while that Lambert said they're expecting that is he going to be fit for 90 minutes this week and there's been all this talk about we're doing some things differently we're going to give young players an opportunity this is the key point of this season well if Luke Wolfenden <laughs> comes out the side and we, we play somebody who's on a short-term contract till the 1st of January ahead of him then you've got uh, sort of serious questions would be asked at that point so mm. I think it's got to be Wolfie I thought he was like I, said, I thought he was really good and he's really come on that year at Swindon's done him done him well but even before then whenever he played for the first team he'd look good so 
I was going to ask you about that Swindon loan because I think a lot of people were frustrated. I'm sure we talked about this before that Paul Hurst loaned him out. But are, are you, is your opinion that that Swindon loan has kind of given him a lot of more of experience that he wouldn't have got staying and playing in the other 23s perhaps at Ipswich? Yeah, well, the, well, the way this season turned out with our sort of extra extra signings there, he wouldn't he wouldn't have got many games at centre half. So it probably was the right thing to do. But I suppose the the difficult question is, did we need to bring in all those extra players ahead of him so that he the, the loan was needed? Mm. But obviously, we we did do that. We got relegated. He's had that year at Swindon, and now he's come back and is. Sort of, he's now got a real chance to stake a claim ahead of even Toto Entiale. If if he can come in with Luke Chambers and we keep keeping clean sheets, then he's going to make it very difficult to be dropped. And Toto will have to bide his time. And that, I'm sure that's what that's what Lambert's told him. You make this position your own. You've got your chance and go for it. Yeah, I think probably the bit that surprised most people on Saturday was keeping that clean sheet. So you'd be it would be strange to to break that that or break that up too much. I'm guess there's a bit where we've got issues still. I th- it was an interesting. I would chat with a few people the week about the strength of our squad. You know, there's this ongoing discussion that we need strength and depth, or we need better quality. We've got a lot of injuries, and the squad is actually pretty chunky when everyone's fit. But right back is still a question mark area. Danassian played, did okay, got into the, got better as the game went on. Um, but no Josh Emmanuel anywhere near the squad mm. last week. What's your thoughts on his future? I, I don't think he's got much of a future at Ipswich Town. From Sort of when you see, he came back at obviously at the end of last season from his loan at Shrewsbury. He played, I think he did a right at Bristol City, but he played another game where he just got pulled off at half time. I think Preston away where he was mm. awful, to be honest. And in pre season, he'd been pretty poor. I don't think he's, I don't think he's mobile enough for for it. He's just too cumbersome at times, and he's still not a very good defender, even though he's had two years in League One, and. You could tell Lambert in pre-season. Cole Hughes played ninety minutes at right back over the last two friendlies, where mm. Emmanuel didn't. And I just, I'd imagine right back is one of these free players we're looking to target, and to probably come in as a first choice head of Danashian, and we'll try and look to get rid of Emmanuel. Would be my guess. I think he's, we picked up the option on his contract, so he's got That's this just a year, year isn't it? Yep. Yeah. So I'd, I'd be very surprised if he gets another contract. Yeah, it's a shame, but as you say, he's not impressed too particularly at the end of last season and pre-season as well. The one game I saw him in was Notts County and he made a mistake for the goal. So, Yeah, and um, this yeah. is a player now who's got sort of 70, 80 games of first-team football under his belt. So he, he's not a novice anymore making those mistakes. He's somebody that is, has sort of had his opportunity and it looks like he's not taking it. He's had two, pretty much two full seasons in League One alone, hasn't he, as well, Shrewsbury and Rotherham? Well, he had a full season at Shrewsbury, uh, sorry, at Rotherham and then Shrewsbury... He, they changed their manager and he didn't really get lucky enough that and came back in January. Right. So he must, I think he had like 40 games at Rotherham, 20 odd at Shrewsbury. So he's, he's played a lot of football. He's played a fair bit of football for us. But when you see him compared to Miles Kenlock, Kenlock has really pushed on where Emmanuel hasn't. Hmm. I was about to ask you a question about right backs um, in respect of Chambers and Wolfen, but I think we've got one on Twitter. So I'll save that one up. You can be thinking about that one and what your answer will be about that. Um, in terms of... Um, one of the things that I kind of called out, um, and well, you've already referred to it as well, is the change of formation in the second half. Um, do you think we're likely to go with that four-two-three-one on Saturday against Sunderland? It, that was there. I kind of made the hypothesis on the Sunday show that it might be a bit of horses for courses formations. Four-four-two in the games, either way, you want to be on the counter-attack, or you think you might have a better chance. And then home games where you want to keep the ball, maybe a four-two-three-one. Thoughts on on that? Yeah, potentially. It's just, I, I think that we've got to get Alan Judge into the team. And I, like I say, he came on and he looked sort of a cut above as soon as he came on, as he did at Cambridge in the friendly there. And there's just no way that he can not play in his favourite position, really. I know there's an argument to play him from the left, but I think you've just got to get him into that 10 role, especially. And the obvious person to drop out, drop out of the team is Caden Jackson. Mm. And so I think Judge could play on the left in a in a free. If it's a four three three, he can play on that left wing. But I don't think you can play four four two and have him on the left. I don't think our full backs are good enough to play the diamond and have him at that tip behind two strikers. So I think it is going to be that four two three one. What's with, your with him I, in there? Sorry, go. No, gonna, no, that was. I was going to say, what, what was your take on Garbert um, playing the left side of the four? Do you think he's better in a four than he is in a, th- a three or a? Yeah, it is a three. It's hard hard to know. I've not seen. 
I've not seen that much of him yet. I've only seen him in the preseason friendlies where at coach that he didn't really do anything. He still looked unfit. I can't, he didn't have a great game at Cambridge either, to be fair. But he, he, I thought he did quite well on Saturday. He gets into decent positions and he's not afraid to shoot. And Ooh. obviously one of them ended up in the back of the net. He had another good effort blocked. He does seem to spend a little bit too long drifting in rather than yeah. rather than staying out wide, which I think in that three he's going to need to. Otherwise, Kenlock is just going to be a little bit sort of stuffed at the at left back. So hopefully, you'd think being a left footer and a, who's played a lot of left back and left wing back, that he'd be someone that almost glued to the touchline, but he doesn't seem that at all. But, Maybe he hated it. <laughs> yeah. He'd be waiting to get away. But yeah, you're right. He did leave Kenlock a, a little bit exposed every now and then. Um, but yeah, as we said, it put a positive um, result, certainly performance, certainly a lot to be positive about some good personnel kind of changes there that worked for us and um yeah a win on the board is always good particularly after the season we've had as well so and a clean sheet so not a huge amount on paper to complain about um maybe some improvement areas there and, and we'll we'll come back and talk, talk about how we change things for Sunderland um let's go on to this Marcus Evans um interview thingy um I guess we, we now get these kind of once or twice a season. Um, I guess most people say that there's not a huge amount of life-changing stuff in there, but just the fact that we're hearing from him and, and, and hopefully it's his words rather than people writing it for him. But yeah, I guess what's your, what's your take on, on the frequency that we get communications from Marcus Evans? Is it is it still not enough? Is it is it just about right? What's, what's your take? No, it's, it's not enough, is it? Having the programme notes at the start of the season and hearing from him if there's a bit of a crisis there needs there needs to be more than that and I think Evans gets quite an easy ride from the town fans and whenever he puts out a piece like this everyone's like oh yeah he is good so I don't know why he doesn't do them more often because he seems to get very sympathetic hearing of these so you think he'd want to do one sort of every every month or every couple of months and I think that would be better for the fan base if he if he did if he did say more because there's there's too often where we when we're guessing what's going on and uh, clarification from the owner would would help things a lot. Hmm. I, I wonder whether Evans has he's always kind of said that he, he leaves his manager to do the talking and Lambert had certainly <laughs> been doing a bit of talking as well. Any, any, I guess this was always going to happen given it was the start of the season. But do do you think anything has changed um, given Lambert's comments on Friday last week? Um, it's difficult to tell the the sort of party line is that these notes were written before Lambert's press conference. Leo Neal's come out and reiterated that today and that they were having conversations all, all week. And I say, I, I just think that when the owner is saying that he is more hands-on and he wants to be more hands-on in the running of the club, whether he is or not, we sort of, we aren't aware of, but sort of a lot of the bits I hear is that he is still not there full time, which is, expected but probably required but if he is the one running it he is the one negotiating the transfer deals then we need we need to hear from him more often you can't just let the manager get on with it and Mick McCarthy became a lightning rod for all the criticism and he he took that role on Lambert seems not happy to do that and is going to push back on that and I don't know I just I, I just think we need we need to hear more from him and sort of more regularly yeah I totally agree with that um Let's call out some bits and pieces. I've got notes, so apologies if you hear rustling of paper. Um, I think the key thing was the bit at the end, really, about um, judging Lambert on the cards he's been dealt rather than rather than our expectations of where we think we should be. He he was at pains to say this is a um, this was a bottom ten championship budget. It's now a a top ten League One budget. A bit of expectation managing there, certainly, Joe. Yeah, and I think. To say a top 10 League One budget is very disingenuous as well. We might as well say we've got a top 24 League One budget. We've got a, we've got a top... Well, I'd, I'd say we've probably got the second biggest wage bill in the league, maybe maybe third. Sunderland are obviously way ahead, but we're, we've got one of the biggest budgets in the league. We are... You look at the squad on paper and we've got two players for every position that are good, good performers at this level almost, apart yeah. from probably... Uh, Maybe the full-backs like that. But if you're saying a 4-2-3-1, you could have a, two keepers of Holy and Norris. The right-back's a bit short, Donatian and Emmanuel. Chambers, Enciala, Wolfenden, Wilson now. Donatian as well, if you needed, yeah. Yeah, Ken Lock at the back. Midfield, central midfield, we all know the sort of quality we've got there. Wide players, Jackson, Norwood. 
when he says judge him on the hands he's been dealt, well, he has been dealt a very good squad at this level. And if you're going to judge him purely based on that, anything, if you're outside the top six, is a massive failure. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's weird, isn't it, how uh, we've kind of got mixed messages. There was a lot of chat over the summer. A few players kind of leaked that Lambert was quite aggressively saying, we, we need to be looking for promotion here, guys. Then Lambert yeah. comes in and manages expectations last Friday. Look, I've not, I'm not happy with the squad. I don't think we've spent enough. Um, and then Evans comes out. It's, you want, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because... You want the supporters to be on side. You want to you want to build a bit of momentum and a bit of ambition and drive for people to enjoy coming to the ground. But similarly, I, I know that you don't want to overburden the squad, particularly as a squad that's quite young. And Evans pointed this out. You don't want to give them unnecessary pressure. But it, it does feel like we're we're kind of ignoring, as you said, the fact that this is a this largely is a similar squad to that was in the championship. Admittedly, statistically, statistically a pretty crap team in the championship. But yeah. how does this work in terms of setting expectations and? And trying to inspire people to get behind the team because no one's expecting one or two, are they? Playoffs is probably what most people are are hoping for. And but the more we just downplay our ambition, it, how does it work for you, Joe? I, I don't like it, but it's a difficult balance to strike, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I just think that they, they can say whatever they want with regards to judge this on that. The ambition is not this. We're not saying we need to go straight up, but. But everyone knows that the main ambition for this season is to be promoted automatically, mm. and and the fullback is to be in the playoffs. And if we aren't in the playoffs or very very close to them, Lambert's going, <laughs> Lambert's going to realistically be very close to being out of a job. If if we finish tenth, eight points from the playoffs, then that isn't that isn't good enough for Ipswich Town. And I don't mean historically or the size of club we are in this league. That isn't good enough because we've got one of the biggest budgets in the league and we've got one of the best squads in this league and we can't afford to fail that badly. I just, I, I, my mind goes back to Sheepshanks and Sheepshanks has his critics, but I remember around 1998, this kind of, is it a five-year or a three-year plan came out? The ambition was clear. It's about promotion to the Premier League. It's sustainable building. It's about using the academy. We've kind of had the Marcus Evans fag packet, five point, ten point plan, whatever it was. But it just feels to me that sometimes we're a little bit disingenuous with supporters. If if our ambition is to be promoted, why shouldn't we say that? You know, why don't we get people inside? If it is, look, we will take playoffs if it's there, or we'll slow build. We'll accept if we stay down, that's okay because the plan is to is to build up the experience for the youth players to maybe attack the league stronger next year. Why don't people just say that? Because Sheepshanks, I think, got everyone around the club. Particularly employees at the club on side by saying this is what we want to do, this is when we want to do it. Everyone, this is what you're building towards. I just feel like we don't really know what we're aiming at at the moment. Yeah, it's it's funny because when we were in the championship in, in under Paul Jewell under Mick McCarthy, it was a case that we're aiming for the top six and to go up, and that was that was clearly stated quite often. So we were aiming for the top six and to go up, and our budget sort of was in like the bottom eight bottom ten of the league but yet now we're, our budget's in the top two of the league we're saying don't judge us on this it might it might not it might not go that well and but realistically if if we have a good season and these youngsters if they if they do well you're going to struggle to keep hold of them if you're if you stay in league one if Flynn's down if Flynn Downs plays like he did on Saturday all season and we finish 10th Flynn Downs isn't going to be here next mm. August. He's, he's going to be somewhere for a nice sum and like I say we, we have just got to get in that we've, we've got to get in that top six we made a good start and I, I think we will I'm not I'm not too concerned that we won't as long as this injury crisis doesn't just continue and get worse all season I'm I'm pretty confident with where we are that most teams are going to struggle against us, but I say Evans can say what he wants. But this is a this is a side that's got to be finishing in the top six. Agreed. Here, yeah. um, other bits and pieces just to call out. Um, uh, um, something clarifying about the the sell-ons. Obviously, people are making a lot about the Webster sale, <laughs> even the Kiefer Moore sale, and we've had Tyron Mings before, and and Evans kind of make uh, pains to say this money doesn't just land on our doorstep straight away it comes over in installments and how that nine million pound budget surplus works it's not necessarily that's going to plug the hole straight away um the other bits and pieces as well as stuff that has been called out even lambert has called this out about um the state of the stadium um we're spending some money on cctv joe so you know that's good. Make sure they can kick out the right people who are yeah. persistent standing. Um, and then there's the bar service. There was nothing about 
contactless payment, but it'll be a bit slicker and a bit quicker. Um, <laughs> a lick of paint around the ground. The North Stand roof is going to get a power wash or something like that. So a bit of money being spent, but it kind of feels grudgingly, doesn't it? There's a few long-term and short-term plans, but Lambert's been banging on about this. We've had Cobalt Massive giving us photo updates from the front of the Cobalt stand. Um, thoughts on the kind of basic stuff, the hygiene factors, if you want to, for a business term, Joe, about the stadium and keep making it an enjoyable place yeah. to come. Yeah, the stadium is run down, isn't it? And and it and it needs that lick of paint. But this stuff should be happening as a matter of course, shouldn't it? It shouldn't. It shouldn't be a news story that we're painting the ticket office. That should just be something that is done when it's looking a bit tired. It shouldn't be a news story that the roof that people have been asked to be cleaned for three years is getting cleaned. Mm. It should just. It should just get done. And it's, it's embarrassing that it gets to that level and. So they talk about this, oh, yeah, we've upgraded the CCTV. Well, there's no way that they'd have done that just off their own back. That's probably a regulatory re requirement of licensing or something like that because the cost of that CCTV system, they, would, they wouldn't have wanted to pay that unless they had to. So, again, it's, I say it's just that this stuff should be happening for a proud club. And it's, it's, it's silly that it's taken Lambert to point this out to Evans for it to get done. Yeah. Same thing with the, the sort of trying to get credit for the community trust. Well, that should never, ever, ever have been cancelled. That was an awful decision to cancel that. And it's taken four or five years for that to come back. And, and we've lost all that ground we had there. And I say, it's just, I, I can't believe it takes Lambert and Leo Neal to push Evans, like you say, begrudgingly, it seems, into doing these things where... And sort of back to the sell-on fees as well. The fans don't care that the money comes in in slow portions. We, we, we're getting the money, and I'm sure we'd structure our deals to use it that way. If he wants it to plug the holes, then just say that we're we're losing a load of money this year. These things are a bonus because they they help me they help me put less into the club, and hopefully in in time I'll be able to invest some more. But at the moment they're here to cover the debts. You don't have to make up these excuses about the money drip feeding into the club. It's just yeah, dis exactly right. Yeah, I know. He's a weird one, isn't he, Mark? Mark Evans. Not that's not a personal slight. We're kind of this is another typical Ipswich fan base kind of split thing where you've got a lot of people saying, look, Marcus Evans is pumping in money every season. Um, he's not risking our future. Um, and if you you know if you can find someone else who's willing to just run uh, lose money every season, then good luck to you. Let's find him and get him in. These people don't grow on trees. And then you've got other people saying, well, there's a lack of ambition there, and, and Lambert's kind of made drawn maybe things like that out in his Friday comments but even the basics and getting this stuff right as we talked about making Portman Road an enjoyable place to come to you know how I, I get frustrated but it, I, I want to draw your attention to something Andy Holt posted he's the um, he's the owner of Accrington Stanley it's got, a, it's got well exactly exactly well they are league one peers now Joe you know these, these are our divisional rivals and they beat us this season as well or this year I should say um He's an owner, I, I fair to say that of, with a good standing in the footballing community, I guess people would prefer maybe he wasn't as outspoken on Twitter, but he's, he's accessible and available like Darren McAntony is. Um, he, he did a long thread this morning, just let me read this, and I want to contrast this with Marcus Evans. Um, Running a football club like Accrington has been one of the most challenging jobs I've ever done. I go through massive periods of self-doubt. How should I run it? What issues are important? What is the end goal? How do we get there? Why is that the end goal? What matters? What core values are we trying to live by? Is my paradigm of football correct? Why am I the only man in the regiment that is in step? Am I going about it all wrong? What if I fail? Is football right for me? Am I right for football? Am I right for Accrington Stanley? On and on. More questions. Um, I'm just going to skip through here. There's a, there's quite a lot of stuff about here. but um, So... Studying all above, I, I believe I'm right, which is why we operate as we do. And by right, I mean steady, sustainable growth, managed budget, security of long-term health of club, integrated with all local stakeholders, with community supporters, council, even the chip shop, pubs, town centre benefiting. Believe me, I've tried all ways to run businesses and failed a few times. I know the routes to failure because I've travelled them. Look at the options. Um so and, and then he kind of goes on to the, how the championship is just feeling like a, a bridge too far and that he wasn't going to he's not going to gamble financially to try and compete with teams that can sell their stadium like Derby who can 
<laughs> attract Wayne Rooney on a, on a weird salary as a player coach. But in terms of how he sets out, he's quite happy, I think, for Accrington to be a, a reasonable sized fish in the League One pond. He's quite happy to put community and club first. He's quite clear about his budget and his aspirations. Um, but how different is he to Marcus Evans in terms of being frugal and prudent? Is he just got the the PR and the community stuff better, or or are they kind of similar? You know, in, in the way they go about things, Joe. I'm, I've given you a lot to think about there, but yeah, I think just the diff- the difficulty in comparing Ipswich and Accrington is the size of the club, the size of the history, the size of the fan base, the size of the town. Accrington are punching well above their weight to be in League One. They're doing it on a tiny budget, and. Their fans have had a hell of a ride, and I can't imagine there's anybody who's unhappy with with where they are in League One because it's the the height of their ambitions. They may have a lucky, lucky season and get into the Championship, and if they did, they'd, they'd earn a bit more money, they'd spend that money, they'd come back down and be sort of exactly where they are. With Ipswich, we are a top two-tier club, our sort of natural standing. On history, game. though, yeah? On history, on history alone? Yeah, on, on, hist- on history alone, but... I, like in my, in my lifetime, we have been effectively a, at worst, top half, second tier club, and I'm I'm sort of mid thirties. My dad is early sixties, and he can say exactly the same thing for his, in his whole life. Ipswich have been a sort of top thirty, thirty five club in the country, and I know that I know that doesn't count for a lot now, but and the, the way Marcus Evans funds us is he he does put in sort of around sort of six million a year it sort of works out i know over the last few years he's used transfer fees that have come in to to go against that so it's it's not quite that high but he he sets a budget and that budget is probably a sort of small championship club budget which when you see a lot of the teams above us in in the pyramid now it's sort of frustrating when you when you see that these clubs have got above us and in some cases, have left us for dead. Teams like Bournemouth, who are in Norwich. the Premier League. Yeah, well, Norwich, Norwich are a similar-sized club to us. And they've, they've, yeah. Paul Lambert's promotion has, when he, when he took them to the Premiership, they haven't looked back from that point onwards. And they've they've made better financial decisions. Yes, they've had the money to do that. But if Evans had spent his money better, we'd be in a much better place. And he talks about he's made mistakes, he's learned from them. I'm still waiting to see the evidence from that because it was only a year ago that he gave Paul Hurst the sort of keys to the club and let him take a wrecking ball to it. Well, there's there's no excuses for Evans anymore. He's he's an experienced owner at this level. He's he's, he's owned us 11 years now. He's not wet behind the ears. He's probably one of the longest serving owners in in the sort of football league. And I don't I don't know. I think like Andy Andy Holt's doing a brilliant job at Accrington and he's, he's very open with it and he, he isn't putting the future of the club in under any 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 risk I listened to he was on a podcast yesterday the Totally Football League show and was talking about the situations at Bury and at Bolton and how he shouldn't be punished for how badly they've been run because they were talking about things like uh, the owner had to put a bond down at the start of the season to be able to prove that they can run the club throughout the year and he's a very very sensible owner but ultimately he's he's running a club which is a hell of a lot smaller than Ipswich and with a hell of a lot lower ambitions and I so say we we need to get back in the championship and then we need to be smart or Evans needs to step aside and let somebody else have a go hmm. who do you think is gonna um, enjoy their time in league one more this season Ipswich fans or Atkinson fans there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN 
giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wes Burns running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Um, if, if we... I suppose for Accrington now, they've, they've had a year in League One. They've been, they've been to all the grounds. They've beaten Sunderland away. They've finished 17th. If they finish 18th, 19th again, it'll be a good season for them. But there's, I can't imagine there's going to be as much buzz as when we get 100 points <laughs> and score 100 goals. That the, like, I'm, I'm hoping that, like I say, that we win the league. That's what my ambitions are for this season. And, I'm, and we're, cap- we're capable of doing so. I, 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 I would have bet on us to do so I've actually bet on Portsmouth to win the league but um, but like I say we, I was about we to say put Joe in charge but you can't you know yeah. you can't bet bets against your own side we, 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 we went to Burton to, and we won there that's a, that's a tough away game we beat Sunderland at home this Saturday and I think we should we could have a really fun year if if if, if the year goes how all the Ipswich fans want it to do and ends with us back in the championship this time next year then I think we'd have had a great year and the Go into the. We've we've come into this season in really good spirits as a fan base because of a, a lot of the work Lambert did in bringing the fan base back together. Like Thirteen thousand season tickets is unbelievable, really. When you mm. think there's going to be twenty one, twenty two thousand there on Saturday, when you think it wasn't that long ago in the championship, we were getting ten, eleven thousand for night games there. We're going to get double that for a League One game, and that's testament to what Lambert has done and that he's. I don't know if he's pushed it, but the price and structure that Evans put in place with the with the drop and. We've just got to enjoy the season, and at, at this point of the year, we can. And like I say, fingers crossed, everything crossed that we we just stay up at the top of the table and go straight back up. Yeah, it does feel to me that a lot hinges on success in the pitch, whereas at least Accrington have figured out that there's more to the the match day experience than the bit between three o'clock and five o'clock. It's a little bit about the you know the community and establishing yourself as a focal point in in a town which i think as we've talked about we've kind of let slip a little bit so yeah yeah it's long overdue that evans gets that sorted out and the guys at blue action obviously getting involved in making the the match day experience a lot more enjoyable the fans and stuff like that but it just feels like we've got all the ingredients and tools to be a decent club we just don't have the right strategy to unlock it, and someone like yeah. Andy Holt just give, is is an is illustration of a, a senior figure at a football club who has a clear strategy, clear plan, sets it out, doesn't yeah. hide, um, and yeah. There's there's a lot there is a lot going on at the moment though. It seems there's this I, I, I don't know all the details because I sort of had a quick look at it, but the schools thing where all sort of year two children are going to be the tickets thing. Of, giving tickets to a game and a little bit of memorabilia. The Junior Blues is brilliantly done, the sort of value you get on the Junior Blues package. And they're they're starting to do more. And I think Leo Neal is driving a lot of that in conjunction with Lambert. And it's just a shame they're playing catch-up because we didn't need to waste the last five years in this matter. Like Mick obviously only cared about the first team and that's sort of, he needed somebody caring about the community. It's too big a job for him to do as well. And, I say Leo Neal seems to be seems to get that he's a local local lad so fingers crossed he he does get that and we try and get back in the community and kick Norwich out of Suffolk because they're trying to get in here yeah exactly right yeah yeah here here um let's um uh, we've dealt with Marcus Evans quite a lot there let's move let's bring things forward um and so the weekend um I can I can I've done a, uh, I've tried to emulate my um preview show um co-host or co-presenter um Harry with some research. So I've got some stats on Sunderland. Just quickly what's your take presumably they should be aiming for a position around ours if not above ours based on what you've said already. Well they've they've got to be aiming for the top 2. They they have by far the biggest budget in the league. Jack Ross going into his second season. I think there's a, the fan base aren't sure on him at the moment. They drew a lot. Of, I think they drew like 18 games last year. Yeah, 19. Yeah. 19. And they, they played three at the back on Saturday and 
a lot of their fans are already saying it's sort of square pegs in round holes. You've got a full-back playing centre-back, a, a sort of a, t- a winger playing wing-back, and it seemed a little bit disjointed, and they think they're going to go with three at the back again. But there's a lot of criticism of Ross and his system and that he's trying to play a system that maybe the players aren't capable of playing or he hasn't got the right players for. And I don't know, I think we could pile the, pile the pressure on them. Yes, I think we've got a, a Twitter question or maybe a comment about it. it would be ironic if we maybe put the first now in Jack Ross's coffin given he interviewed with us is I think common knowledge yes, he maybe yeah. at least once as well for before Paul Hurst was appointed um, so yeah it's, it, and they obviously got the season off to a drawing start as well so they're consistent with that too um, fifth finish last season um, 22 wins but 19 draws um, five losses only which one was at home and that was at Crinton was it yeah I think so nice I like that stat um their leading scorer left them in January, so it was Josh Marger, the um, young striker who came, broke through, kind of, he was on that Sutherland Till I Die documentary. Mm. Is it Madja, I think? Um, Josh Madger, yeah. Got 15 goals. Will Grigg came in in the January window for 4 million quid um, and only managed four goals <laughs> in the remainder of that campaign. Um, I saw them at Oxford United, ironically, um, away, like, doing my League One research. Um, in the last season and Will Grigg was kind of he's quick and bustly and he's he's definitely relies on the ball at the top but he was hardly in the game so um, I think there's a lot of pressure on that price tag um, obviously got fifth lost the chart in the playoffs did get to the Trek trade final so they kind of probably took that semi-seriously and then got to the final and then suddenly all their fans took over at Trafalgar Square didn't they and yep. they had two instances of that but lost on penalties to Portsmouth but then beat Portsmouth in the playoffs so some nice symmetry there, but probably a season of disappointment for them, even though they got relegated the season before. Um, yeah, and mixed season, given the expectations, it's a it's still a big club. Had parachute money as well, big big name players in that team as well that right. have subsequently moved on. But I don't think the expectations will have dropped this season, will they, Joe? Well, no, they they can't drop. They 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 are a team that needs to get back into at least the championship. They. Like I say, when you look at their season last year, they lost five games all year and they en- and got to a cup final and ended up with nothing that it must be galling to take. And I think they end up with sort of the best part of 90 points as well. It's a, a real sort of a real sort of blow that they didn't get up. And it probably made our job easier had they, had they gone up last year, probably at Charlton's expense in the playoff final because Charlton, a bit of a, a bit of a strange place as a club. And Sunderland, they just are... They are they are a massive club, aren't they? And mm. it's just they just got into a losing habit and couldn't break it. And then when they end up in League One, they've still got players on high wages. Like because we we were such an established Championship side, all our all our players had these relegation release clauses. Because they fell through the division so quickly, they still had Premiership players on on sort of Premiership wages show, that, yeah. that dropped right down into League One. And where we can say players like maybe Alan Judge and Emir Hughes are too good for League One. They're sort of championship players that are too good for League One. They had players that were too good for League One, but that were never championship players. So it made it it made it a much more difficult league to drop into. And they had such a sort of scattergun squad at the end of it. You got players like Lee Catamol, who sort of been close to the England squad, and then you've got young players coming through. One of them's made captain. The fans don't like him. He subsequently sold. It's just a a really a really tough sort of tough squad to manage for Jack Ross in his first job down here when you've got players on 40 grand a week yeah. in League One and you're having to sign players on, on four grand a week and it's just it, it must have been a really really tough job and like I say you look at the stats and he's obviously done well but you, you can't draw 19 games in the league you've got to turn and how many how many points were they off automatic promotion come the end of it four Not, five yeah, yeah. and it's like and you've drawn 19 games you've got to turn some of those into wins don't you and yeah, well, it's a, the thing. The um, you're seeing the stamp that Jack Ross is putting on the squad this it's this summer. A lot of players shipped out, as you'd expect. Um, quite a few players coming in, but what, quite a lot of youth players being used. I remember Oxford last season. Quite a lot of young players being in the squad. Um, so he's definitely trying to. Albeit these players are still under contract or something, just get them out of the way. Um, just trying to give you some of the names that have who've gone out. You mentioned Catamol, who left on a free. Um, Adam Matthews left. Kone left. Honeyman, who was he the player you were talking about? George Honeyman, who was the captain and 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think the fans really liked him that much. But no, well, he went to Hull. Oviedo left. That's a name that's probably familiar to quite a few people. Left back, um, the keeper Roitu, I think, was the guy who signed in the Sunderland until I died documentary. Did you see this, by the way? If you haven't, it's yeah. Netflix. And then broke his finger, was it? Yeah, I think that was. A, and you watched the operation; that was unnecessary. Um, and then the players coming in. I mean, it's. It, I guess it doesn't feel like particularly there's no um, I wouldn't say there's any James Norwood type signings here um, they have raided Coventry City though so I can talk to you about a few of these players um, McNulty is it McNulty signed from Reading so he, he left Cov um, after they got promoted from League 2 went to Reading didn't really feature had a loan spell um, somewhere else last season I'm trying to remember who it was can't remember um, he's on loan here this season he's quite similar to Norwood actually he's quite a hustling and bustling and striker you score all different types of goals I think it's quite a smart little signing that one um, and the fans seem to like him he works harder than Grigg is what I've I've heard <clears throat> um, the other two players from Cov um, are Lee Burge the goalkeeper interesting one that um, mixed reports um, he's a bit inconsistent um, relatively young still so has a chance to improve but I wouldn't say he was an outstanding keeper for, for Coventry last season Jordan Willis however was an outstanding centre back for them also playing the right side so that's quite a good signing I was disappointed we went in for him I think and he went for about 100k or something like that um, it's 100, so, 100k too much for us true you're right yeah um, and Conor McLaughlin signed right back from Millwall um, so not not a huge amount of um, major um, incomings there but only one player who started the playoff final started on Saturday against Oxford. You said it's it was cra- a, it's crazy, that isn't it? So it's quite a lot of turnaround and quite a lot of youth players in the team. I think there's at least three or four who started who have come through the academy there. Um, but quite a lot of churn from the old guard. We've kind of had that last season. Is they are they going to have a similar kind of slow start to the season? But are these players kind of establish themselves? You'd imagine so, but I don't think they—I don't think they're in a position where they're able to. I think they've got to start winning, and especially—I know I've sort of said it a few times—but this 19 draws they had the last year is that—is that a sign of a manager who struggles to set up to win a game? Is it a Great sort show, of yeah. overly cautious team and sort of just trying to nick a goal at certain points? And I say 19 draws, and they've started with one draw already, and. So you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against another draw at the weekend, would no, you? No, I th- that would. I was going to ask you a few predictions, but I think I'd bet that as well. It's, uh, the game at Oxford um, that I saw um, in February, March last last season, they were dominant for most of the game, and then got to the second half and kind of packed in. They kind of had their one goal lead, and then thought we're okay here, and then Oxford just kicked on. Um, Jordan Graham was playing for Oxford, um, and flattered to see for me but everyone seemed to be impressed with him but they just kind of sat back and maybe that's a little bit of complacency they definitely missed chances will grig we kind of talked about him a bit i was kind of looking at the average positions for their team on saturday against oxford's this season and grig is really deep actually in comparison to mcnulty who's a lot further forward i think it's i've seen the local press talking about composure in front of goal i think they miss a few easy chances that give them that would give them the cushion to then sit back and i think that's part of the problem but as you say it was a th- I think it was a three at the back but it didn't look that way I think for a lot of Sunderland supporters so I just call out the bench though quickly um, Oz Turk who was quite an important centre-back for them centre-back full-back for them last season um, Chris Maguire Duncan Watmore who's now injured again um, Aidan McGeady we talked about but Grant Ledbetter is still there you can still find him yeah. so it's quite an experienced bench there but McGeady I don't think is going to be ready for us on Saturday what more certainly out but yeah as you say is is on paper is this a squad as good as ours Joe? I think the, the <clears throat> top players in the squad are probably better than ours but maybe our sort of bottom end players are better than theirs and it's just a case of what what can you get out of there? What what can they get out of Vader McGeady this season and Duncan Watmore because if those two play 40 games each then they're going to be, they're going to take some stopping because they're both sort of players that have cut it at very high levels. But they if if they're not going to be fit, then they're no good. And and then they end up playing without being sort of harsh. A guy that couldn't get in the Reading team last year, who were pretty dog, you used dog to wait for Coventry, side. Joe. You used to wait for Coventry. Yeah, and I just but you know you know what I mean. There's 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 sort of a big differing levels in their squad. They've still got some players yeah. that they signed when they came straight down to the championship that were on sort of big money or have played in the Premier League for them and are very good players. And then you've got players that have been brought in while they're a League One side and you do just I don't know. I think that they're, they're the sort of team that if you, if they catch you on a good day they're gonna beat anyone but 
how many of those good days are they going to have this year? Hopefully yeah. not one on Saturday. Well, yeah. So what what is your what is your feeling of the game is going to be like? I think we both alluded to it likely to be a, we think it's going to be a draw, but is it going to be possession versus possession, or do you think we might go counter attack? How would you set up for this Sunderland team I, with a three one four two formation or whatever it was? Yeah, I think I don't think we'll try and match them. I think we're sort of past the days of trying to match match the opposition side, but we'll see on that because we obviously did towards the end of last season at a place like Sheffield United where we matched up with them. But I think we're just going to have to go that four-two-three-one, and we're going to have to try and get Flynn Downs driving forward on the ball and playing as well as he did last week and through preseason, and just try and get Alan Judge on the ball. And Norwood is dangerous up front, and I think the key will. Be making sure that Danny Rowe and Luke Garbutt do push on. That they're not they're not wide in a four in a four four two. We don't want to end up being a, in a four four one one and not committing enough men forward. So we need to make sure that they push on. That when we get opportunities, we're decisive with our attacks. And I don't know. It's it's, it's going to be close because Sunderland, all their games are close. It seems, and they're going to, it's going to be tense and it's going to be. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a classic, but it's it's there for the winning. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. Um, can I put you on the spot and get a score prediction out of you? Um, five nil. With five nil. Finidi George. Finidi George. Just got a, a lob. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I reckon, sort of in all seriousness, it's going to be sort of two one. I'd say maybe, maybe uh, re- most likely it's going to be nil nil or one one. But I, I do just think we might just edge it. I'm sort of, I've got this nagging suspicion that we're going to edge it, which I'm looking forward to. I think there's going to be a good crowd there behind the team, and it's going to be kickstart our league one promotion campaign oh I'll, do you know what joe i'm not gonna give my two pennies because it will only make people depressed so um i'm gonna leave on that note let's do some questions um because we've already kind of picked up some of these um themes already um where are we here we go um we've uh, simon uh, portman ginger we talked about the under 23s any standout performance we we don't think so. Was there? Well, Harry, a lot of like with Harry, Wright, Harry Wright played well. That was Harry he Wright. was he was he was the best player. But um, Oli Mar, our mate Alice there. Does the extended window for League One clubs allow Marcus Evans to demonstrate one of the many fundamental flaws in his transfer approach? Um, we will likely make the signings we need in late August as we try to find the best value to the detriment of the squad for four or five games. Thoughts on us dallying in the transfer window potentially? Well, we've we've done it for the last. 17 transfer windows so I can't see why this one's going to be any different it's it's frustrating that we sort of leave deals to the very end of the market we, we don't I say I'd you don't you don't know all the details but we don't seem to be that dynamic in transfer windows at the at the very start of the window we we get some deals done and then it's at the very end of the window I, I assume that deals during the window are much harder to get done because People don't want to sell at that point. They want to push it to the last minute to try and get the best price. Players will hold on for longer. But we do struggle, it seems, to get deals done in that sort of key part of the window. I'd personally prefer if all the transfer windows shut before the season started. Yeah, this is a bit tedious, isn't it? Um, because like the championship one, it's it's all set. Oh, yeah, we want to stick with the Premier League. If it gets the championship teams have all played a game at the weekend and then there's all this disruption this week and it's almost like that that first game of the season is sort of a waste of time and I don't know it's all just a sort of as a little sop to the Premier League well if they want to have at the same time push their start date back so that they start at the same time as a Premier League and let League 1 and League 2 have some glory for a weekend now that we're in it but but, but I'd, I'd, I'd either abolish the transfer window completely go back to what it used to be the third first day yes. of March or or it should stop before the season starts. One I'll have other. that. I'll have the, I'll have the transfer window until March. It's all a panto. It's just to give Sky Sports action on their news channel today. It's just silly. Um, where do we go next? Tim Pashley. Um, do you think we'll be a counter-attacking team when away and set up differently at home? We've kind of already mentioned that a little bit about the counter-attack, though. Or do you think yeah, we might I, go with that I, on Saturday? I, I think we will try and go and counter-attack at home as well. It's just, is it going to be... When, when you come against sort of lower ranked teams in this league are they going to come on to you to allow you that space to counter attack into that's that's when it's going to be difficult to play that way but it's like I, say, I think it's going to be horses for courses in certain games and I, I quite like the counter attack style and I think it's one that suits the sort of personnel we have there now we've got a proper striker to play in it mm, and t- I made this prediction on Sunday and I repeat it tonight Thomas Holly's going to get an assist a, a small little pokey the way ground 
win behind him. He might even score a goal. Uh, but... His kicking is absolutely massive, isn't it? And that's that's really good because it keeps uh it keeps the opposition defence honest because they can't just push up a bit. Otherwise, he just puts it over their head. It, I think it happened in pre-season against Cambridge as well. Yeah, he just yeah. absolutely booms it down and it sort of bounces on the edge of the opposition box. That's great, wasn't it? Um, Luke Moles is is sipping the same Kool-Aid that you're drinking, Joe. After we've beaten Sunderland and Peterborough in the next two to secure promotion, should we then use the rest of the season to blood youth in readiness for next season the Championship? Asking for a friend. I think we should wait till Halloween because we'll probably be sure of the title at that point as opposed to just automatic promotion. You guys. Um, Benjamin Arier, with Bailey Clements getting on the bench over in Darborough at uh, Burton, how important could... <laughs> he be for the future do we need do we need to utilize our young products i know what you'd say on the on the latter uh, we talked about wolfenden especially but bailey clements thought it was about is that uh, maybe a lack of options or is bailey highly thought of? we talked about him he, yeah season, he, he he is highly thought of but it is indicative of a lack of options as well there's sort of no real two ways about it there's he wouldn't be he wouldn't be in the team if we didn't have so many so many injuries at the moment but i'd say i think it was a big deal him getting on the bench ahead of indaba i I, I suppose if there was an injury at centre-back, which there was, but Cole Skews came on, but they'd have more confidence in Miles Kenlock playing left-back and Bailey Clements playing... Sorry, Miles Kenlock playing centre-back with Bailey Clements oh, okay. at left-back, as opposed to in Darber at centre-back and Kenlock at left-back. I'm saying Darber seems to be well down the order, and that's, 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 that could only be a good thing for Bailey. Have they tried him at centre-back as well, Clements? I thought um, they, he has they've shuffled him about a bit, haven't they? Not, not for the first team, but ge- generally, when he's played centre-back, in the youth team, it's because he's one of the better. Well, he was captain and one of the better players that he'd play centre back. And there's another good youngster who was mentioned by Kieran Dyer in his interview today, Tommy Smith, who would play left back. So it, it meant that you could get two of your better players into the team. So, and he was he's obviously a, at youth level. His sort of maybe lack of physicality isn't as noticeable because he's further on than the youth players, but not as far on as the senior players. Um, we were going to talk about this, and I forgot about it. So, what's about Kieran Dyer leaving today? What's your take on that? Not surprised? No, I'm not surprised. It's something that I've you'd sort of heard about a little while. He was linked with Cardiff a, a few months ago, and I think he's, I think he's quite sort of close with Craig Bellamy. And Craig Bellamy's just got a job at sort of coaching the Anderlecht reserve team, and it wouldn't be the greatest surprise if he joins. He goes over, joins him over there. I can, I can understand, I can understand his point. Uh, even as an academy player, sometimes you don't get the respect you deserve because you're seen as the sort of the cheap option and it takes a transfer away from the club for you to almost be appreciated because you, you then go into your new club as a as a senior player as opposed to a young player who's been there for years that everyone's known and that side of it and realistically that there's, there's the pathway for coaching in the academy leads you to the ceiling that he was almost at and you've got Gerard Nash who's highly rated there's only Chris so many highly rated at the under 23s Adam yeah. Atte is the man- manager at the under-18s. These guys have all earned these roles. Kieran Dyer's earned his role as the under-18s assistant manager. But the first team is a long way removed from that. They're not... The, the coaching team in the first team is Paul Lambert's team that, is, that he had with him at Stoke, that he's had with him at sort of Blackburn and Wolves previously. And they've, they've come in and... I say, there's, you're not, you're not going to get promoted onto that unless you are sort of... Oh, maybe Gerard Nash is going to leave we need to get him involved Dyer needs to get away get a job and that's that's his best route into senior football he's got, he's going to get stuck here because ultimately he, he's still that Ipswich boy who's still here and he's he's probably working for free and probably has been for a, a long time here he needs to go and sort of earn his stripes elsewhere for his mm-hmm. for his coaching and management career which he's obviously taken seriously odds on him coming back and being Ipswich manager at some point in the future I, I, I don't see it I just all these you hear this all the time oh I'd love to come back and do it but if if he's going to be good enough to be our manager he's probably unlikely to be free when the vacancy arises if that makes sense you've True. you've got you've got to have a very sort of stars aligning for him to be in the right place at the right time if there is a vacancy there so so his motivations are, are good in terms of earning his career and we'll wait and see whether where he ends up next. Um, Arthur Pickthorne, what kind of striker do you think we should be looking for? And I'll add, is he in the mould of Ellis Harrison? <clears throat> um, our lad, the one we're looking for. Sorry. Yeah, the, sorry, the one we're we're looking for. Yeah, sorry, I, was, I, I, I was making a political point there, Joe. Sorry, it's just uh, okay. It's I, too I, subtle. It's it's 
someone who's, like I say, somebody who is going to be a target man and can play up front on their own, maybe who's out of favour at a club like Nottingham Forest and will sort of come over. So like some, someone like a Daryl Murphy, who we, we know can play up front on his own and can sort of take the pressure off James Norwood because we don't want to flog James Norwood for 46 games a season. We want to keep him fresh and... He's, I'm sure he's a player that doesn't want to ever come off and play all the time. But if we can get some help up there, because Caden Jackson isn't that type of player that can play up front in his own. And we've, we've got a lot of extra games this season in the Checker Trade Trophy. You'd, you'd hope our FA Cup run is going to go a bit further than one game this year. Yeah. So we've got, we've got time to play these players. Um, Brad Archer, call me crazy, but Alan Judge, do you think he would be more effective if he played in a Barry Bannon role? Um... I don't think he's tactically disciplined enough to play in those sort of roles, is he? He he drifts around a lot and. Bannon's he, a sitter, isn't he? But he roams he, a lot. He, he roams, but he's got a very good sort of passing range, both short and long, and just get Sheffield Wednesday playing when he was there. But I, I think we've judged that he is too much of a free spirit, and when when he does play, the team does rotate around because he forces them to because they have to to cover the spaces he's left, but. That that doesn't really work in that deeper role. I think he'd lose a lot of his a lot of his effectiveness by just um, feeling too stuck in one position to get and trying to get on the ball there. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a discipline point. I think I definitely agree with that. Um, just looking through this, we've dealt with quite a lot of these. So let me see what I can find for you. Um, Dave Gortz, um I, I've been banging on about this. So let me ask a question that may contradict it are we making too much of formations and which one we should use um it's a positive we have a squad that can fulfill many formations but ultimately it's about performances um by players and the team as a whole they get results are you of the um is it brian clough it was all about players rather than systems or is it the other way around i forget yeah no i i, I do agree with that to an extent if you've got good players you're going to win you're going to win more games than if you've got sort of bad players but i think it is quite important in 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 the modern game, what what shape you're playing? Because a because a hell of a lot of what happens is pressing, and you've got to know how you press. And you can't just one player can't just press. You've got to press as a team. So you need to know who's around you. And the game is the game is so much quicker now than it was. And when you make mistakes, positioning mistakes, teams can just cut through you sort of like a hot knife through butter. And whilst in League One they don't have the quality like you do at the Championship and even more so in the Premier League, it's important you know the sort of team and the role you're playing. And and, and Harry used to say on these shows all the time, it's about partnerships and building partnerships. And you want your centre-backs playing the same. You want your right-back to know who's in front of him. And is he playing as a right-winger? Was he playing as a right-midfielder? Or was he tucked in? And you, it's... You, you want these players sort of performing in second nature. You look at Sheffield United last year with their sort of 3-5-2 overlapping centre-backs, but it wasn't just John Egan and Jack O'Connell. It was when Martin Craney came into the side, he'd overlap and score goals, and that the, everyone knew how to play that style. And if, if we could have a style that just becomes synonymous with a team and everyone who drops into it can play it, that would be that would be ideal because I think we'd get more out of the very good squad that way. And that's what Ben talks about, isn't it? It's this kind of pattern of play, the, the philosophy, the formation might evolve around it, but you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the way we go about it. Um, and even, even like on Saturday when you see the counter-attacks, you, ne- you need players to know know where they're playing to make those counter-attacks yeah, not think a, about getting in the right position and exactly the right. goalie needs to know yeah that's my left winger that's my right winger and when we've got a corner they're going to pull out onto the flank so that if I catch a ball I can go quickly and that's, that stuff is very important um, Sully I'm going to call out um, our mate in New York Dennis Sullivan who, I, who it was his point that I stole earlier wouldn't it be ironic because we um, if we beat Sunderland Saturday and Jack Ross got fired as I'm sure he was offered our job before we hired her so I think we know he's interviewed was he offered it maybe not I'm not sure I, I think he was the clubhouse leader but then we stalled waiting for Hurst and then he was snapped up by Sunderland while we were waiting to check Hurst wasn't better than him yeah I think Ross might have got things moving himself with Sunderland as well but it would be ironic Sully in answer to your question and thank you for that and hello to our American friends um, let's end with um, a question from Mullet um as always, uh, who I've been slandering all week. Um, if you were for Marcus Evans during his time here, what sliding doors moment would you go back and try and change? Would you burst into the boardroom screaming, Clegg's right, get the Dulux out, Marcus? Um, or would you stop him in the corridor with some football manager data? 
Would, oh, it be, would it be when he's doing the tour around the stadium to buy it in the first place, Joe? No, because I, I think he was probably the right person to come in at that time. He came in and put, put money into the club, which should have been enough to sort us out. But the problem was he was too wet behind his ears and he appointed the wrong manager and Roy Keane was his... Like I say, I, I, it was a grandson uh, appointment, wasn't it? It was a, it was a yeah, more of a PR-skewed appointment than tactical. I, I, I personally felt that Paul Jewell was a worse manager than Roy Keane because Paul Jewell just destroyed the club when I, when I was watching it from my point of view. But appointing Roy Keane was the worst, the worst thing he could have done because it just we just wasted so much money in, in those early years and we didn't really progress from it. And Roy Keane was never the right person for this for this club. And as much as Mick McCarthy left on, under a sort of sort of under a cloud, I think Mick McCarthy was available when we appointed Roy Keane first time round. And had we appointed Mick, we'd have got up into that Premier League when we when we had all that money. And Mick wouldn't have lasted; he'd have gone like he like he does. And we'd have had that Premiership money to fall back on and build from. And I say it was just that he either needed to. Uh, get somebody in to help run the club early on and if he was appointing Roy Keane have somebody there who who could sort of keep him under under sort of <sighs> under control a bit more than he was maybe yeah. and, but that that was the that was our moment but there's, there's been lots of moments we've had we've managed to sort of miss so many opportunities for promotion since we <coughs> sorry since since we've come down you can watch a fantastic YouTube video about the top 10 Sliding Doors moments, which yeah. is uh, you find on Blue Monday or Ben Bloom on YouTube, whatever it is. Um, I, what, I, what's your moment on that one? Well, it's, I, I, I'm more of... My bigger issue is was Clegg or the lack of a footballing person to run the club day to day. I think I, I agree with you on that. I think that was more significant person who certainly had an eye on the community bit that we talked about. Um, ability to manage Keen at that time yeah. um, but also build a bit of a strategy so a chief exec kind of like a Dan Ashworth or a, it, a Weber. Back. well yeah Simon Milton um, so that would have been my sliding doors moment that's good Joe thank you for all those questions we've skipped through a few I think we've covered some of those and some people made some points that I think we've covered as well so thank you for those um, in terms of um, what's up next um, Joe I think you were back on Sunday with um, Ben and Dave Okay. for the flagship if you didn't know you do now um, so you can join the guys from the flagship show there to go back through Sunderland I think we are back possibly next week um, to talk through Luton um, which will have been on the Tuesday night and yeah. Sunderland a little bit of Sunderland if you if we've got nothing if we've got some stuff we want to add and then look ahead for Peterborough the next of the big three games so keep a look out for that you can find us on Blue Monday ITFC on Twitter um, Joe tell us where your Twitterers are just at Joe Fairs is my main and one. And your Academy one? Is at ITFC underscore Academy. Excellent stuff. And you can find me at Ips Rich. Um, Joe, I'll let you have the last words. Um, good luck, everyone, on Saturday. 97 points to go. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.